Hi everybody, it is Stefan Molyneux from Free Domain. I hope you're doing well. And uh, just going to do a little short live stream here so that you can learn to dislike me all over again. Just when you think I've given up on the volatile stuff, I wade in and embrace it. And I do so out of an intense love for humanity, an intense love for fetuses and babies and women and motherhood and fatherhood. And with the general understanding that the purpose of abortion, at least from the far left, is not liberty for women. Of course, if they cared about liberty for women, they wouldn't enslave everyone through communism. <laughs> Let's get that right off the table. I believe that one of the purposes behind the push for abortion rights or the pro-choice perspective is simply corruption. It is taking women and turning them against the primary purpose that we all have, which is to create and nurture life. That's why we're all here. It's why we all live. It's why we all survive. The creation and nurturing of life must be corrupted in the same way that basic common sense must be corrupted in, in postmodernism and language games and pronouns and so on. That basic common sense has to be uh, corrupted. So let's not mistake any of this for women's rights or females' rights because... Women, of course, have the right to life, and half the fetuses or more that are aborted are female. So let's uh, just, and of course, what was it back in the 90s? Uh, it was um, Biden, I guess back was he, Senator Biden back then, who wanted states to be able to decide on abortion, and uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg was not a fan of Roe v. Wade. The Roe v. Wade was, uh, I think, a leftist basically plot to make sure that as many people could be corrupted by abortion as humanly possible. The woman who was the center of the court case uh, claimed that she was assaulted. Turned out that she uh, was not telling the truth at that time, which to me would undo any legal precedent. And she then became fiercely pro-life uh, and uh, so on. And yeah, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, she said, he, uh, sorry, she said Rose, or the late Ruth Bader Ginsburg, said Rose, heavy-handed judicial intervention was difficult to justify and appears to have provoked, not resolved, conflict. Lawrence Tribe said one of the most curious things about Roe is that behind its own verbal smokescreen, the substantive judgment on which it rests is nowhere to be found. Benjamin Witts, Roe, quote, is a lousy opinion that disenfranchised millions of conservatives on an issue about which they care deeply. Cass Sunstein, quote, the court decided too many issues too quickly. The court should have allowed the democratic processes of the states to adapt and to generate sensible solutions that might not occur to a set of judges. Jeffrey Rosen, quote, this pro-choice magazine was correct in 1973 when it criticized Roe on constitutional grounds. Its overturning would be the best thing that could happen to the federal judiciary, the pro-choice movement, and the moderate majority of the American people. Richard Cohen, Roe, quote, is a Supreme Court decision whose reasoning has not held up. It seems more fiat than argument. So, I mean, I think it's true across the world as a whole, uh, America and Canada and other countries, very few countries, are extreme outliers in allowing abortion after the first trimester. Extreme outliers. And it's kind of funny, too, because you, Ukraine has much stricter abortion laws than the United States, but everyone's worshipping Ukraine and wanting to defend it and so on. But if the Ukrainian abortion laws were put into the United States, everybody would completely freak out and consider it pure fascism or something like that. So, in general, most people are like, okay... Abortion very early in a pregnancy is okay, second trimester not so much, and really horrible third trimester up to a birth itself. So that's 
uh, that's uh, pretty pretty bad, right? And what is the number of the count in America since 1973? 60 million, 63 million abortions. And uh, of course, that is one of the reasons why people feel the need for mass immigration. If you regularly killing off your domestic population and the, feel, the feeling is that you need more people, or at least the same number of people to run the economy, then that's uh, pretty, pretty rough. According to uh, one uh, reporter, abortion has killed more people than 10 Holocausts than Mao, Pol Pot, Stalin, or Hitler possibly combined. Hard to say since we're not sure how many died in China. 63 million abortions in the U.S. since Roe v. Wade. Now, here's the thing, right? So it's really, really important. It's a sort of basic public choice theory. The presence or absence of abortion cannot be taken as fixed with regards to the numbers. So if you say, oh my gosh, there's 63 million abortions in America since 1973, Therefore, there'd be 60 more for more million people if this hadn't occurred. That's not the case at all. People change their behaviors based upon the circumstances. If abortion is safe and legal and often free or heavily subsidized, then some women, not a lot, but some will use that as a form of birth control. And if abortion becomes more challenging to obtain, then people will change their behavior. In particular, women will change their behavior, but as well, men will change their behavior to make sure that there's more birth control being used. Uh, who knows exactly how uh, far this is going to go. I did read a fairly horrifying story about life in the 50s where uh, Lysol was marketing itself as a kind of douche with hints at contraceptive or abortive uh, abilities. Uh, and so all of this really, really rough stuff. So yeah, most people, okay, first trimester, eh, maybe, maybe, maybe second trimester if the mother's life is at stake, but third trimester, not so much. And uh, I don't know if you knew that there are also trigger laws. So uh, there are states in America with trigger laws. So these are pre-Roe v. Wade bans on abortion that would make abortion illegal in the state if Roe v. Wade were overturned, which again is kind of floating around with all this kind of stuff. And um, this is an opinion of the court that I think is is important. Until the latter part of the 20th century, there was no support in American law for a constitutional right to obtain an abortion. Zero. None. No state constitutional provision had recognized such a right. Until a few years before Roe was handed down, no federal or state court had recognized such a right, nor had any scholarly treaties of which we are aware. Although, and, and although law review articles are not reticent about advocating new rights, the earliest article proposing a constitutional right to abortion that has come to our attention was published only a few years before Roe. Not only was there no support for such a constitutional right until shortly before Roe, but abortion had long been a crime in every single state. At common law, abortion was criminal in at least some stages of pregnancy and was regarded as unlawful and could have very serious consequences at all stages. American law followed the common law until a wave of statutory restrictions in the 1800s expanded criminal liability for abortions. By the time of the adoption of the 14th Amendment, three-quarters of the states had made abortion a crime at any stage of pregnancy, and the remaining states would soon follow. So that, again, that's sort of, again, no lawyer, no legal advice, nothing like that. But uh, it's also pretty wild when you notice that abortion, those are people's, Beliefs or perspectives have changed on a wide variety of social issues. But public attitudes on abortion since Roe v. Wade was decided, I guess, almost 50 years ago. So close to half of survey respondents identify as pro-life and half as pro-choice. But whatever their identification, a majority of Americans are in favor of abortion being legal only in certain circumstances. 
Indeed, although most Americans say they support Roe, most also don't seem to know a critical fact about it. It established a right to abortion until the point of viability, usually at 24 weeks, and granted broad authority to physicians to perform them after that point. Hence, a majority of Americans also support restricting abortions to first trimester, roughly the line drawn by Mississippi. The persistence of Roe's many foes is surprising if you see abortion as a culture war issue like LGBTQ rights or sex education on which more Americans have embraced progressive views over time. If abortion were like these cultural issues, we would expect Americans to be far more in favor of abortion rights today than they were 50 years ago, when rates of church attendance were higher and social attitudes were far more conservative, especially on issues related to gender and sex. But that's not what happened. Although the Roman Catholic Church was key in propagating anti-abortion views, in the early parts of the abortion, uh, early years of the abortion conflict, steep declines in church attendance have done little to depress pro-life sentiment. Surveys also show that Americans embraced more egalitarian gender attitudes over time without letting go of their opposition to abortion. Consequently, citizens on both sides of the issue are now far less divided by their position on gender roles than they were in the 1970s. So it is one of these situations where Public sentiment has barely budged over 50 years, despite, of course, of a massive amount of propaganda. And, uh, of course, when, <laughs> when people say, well, how dare men have rights on, on women's uh, bodies and women's life? Well, of course, this is the same. A lot of these people are the same people who said, well, you should get fired or kicked out of the military if you won't take a vax that you can't sue for if it turns out to be dangerous for you. Uh, and they say, well, you, but, but of course, Roe was decided by seven white men and was now overturned by a group, or could be, by a group that includes a woman and a black man. So I guess diversity is, is progress in a way. And in 1982, Joe Biden proposed a constitutional amendment that would overturn Roe v. Wade and allow states to choose their own policies on abortion. So I think that's important. Uh, and... Um, um, a fellow also wrote, if they make abortion illegal, they should make men deserting women who they got pregnant illegal as well. Because if a woman can't back out of a pregnancy, a man shouldn't be able to either. Well, there is already that in law to a large degree, because if a man gets a woman pregnant, she can sue for child support and put him in baby jail, so to speak, for the rest uh, for the next 20 years or more. And this is one of the few debts, of course, that could end you up in prison. And then you've got to get out of prison and try to earn the money that with a prison record and so on. So, And of course, the way it currently works is that men cannot opt out, right? So a woman can opt out of childbirth by having an abortion, but a man can't say, I don't want the baby and opt out of being a father. That's really very much unto um, uh, why there's a considered, it's considered quite uh, unequal in these kinds of areas. So there are only, the U.S. is, is only one of seven countries that allow elective abortions after 20 weeks of pregnancy, right? Elective abortions are like not health of mother or not rape, not incest and so on, right? So do you, do you guys know what the other six countries are, right? Seven, there are only seven countries in the world that allow elective abortions after 20 weeks of pregnancy. If you guys wanted to make your stabs at the other guess, yeah, Canada. Canada allows it, I think, right up to, right up to birth. Just uh, uh, like, wow, like kill the baby right before it's born. That's just ast astonishing. Uh, not Australia, actually. No, China, yes, you are correct on that. Uh, so the other six countries, uh, no, not Cuba, not Cuba, interestingly enough. So there are seven countries in the entire world, out of what, 180, 200 countries, 
There are only seven countries in the world that allow elective abortions after 20 weeks. The first is the U.S., of course, in this case, uh, North Korea, China, Vietnam, Canada, Singapore, and the Netherlands. So I think that's important to, uh, to understand as far as all of that goes, right? Because that is the uh, reality of where things are. Very rare. So even Vietnam restricts abortions after 20 weeks. It is something that, look, the reality is that abortion is a tragedy no matter which way you cut it, right? Ab abortion is just an absolute tragedy because there are 18 different forms of birth control, not counting the dime, right? You know that birth control can only cost you a dime uh, because all you do is you take a dime, you put it between your legs, and you just hold on to it, right? So there are 18 different forms of birth control for women. For men, of course, there's non-vaginal ejaculation, there is uh, condoms, there is abstinence, there are vasectomies, and so on. So lots of different ways to not get pregnant. So here's the, so this is just sort of basic facts and information about things. Abortion is a tragedy. Pro-choice people would vehemently disagree with you on that. No, it is a tragedy. It absolutely, like I would, I would, I would go to the wall for this one. It absolutely is a tragedy. Even if you're pro-choice, it's not like you're pro-abortion, right? Because it is a not, it's a medical procedure, not without risks. It takes away resources from other people who otherwise could be getting medical uh, help or medical resources and so on. It's expensive, uh, and there are... I've read both sides of the argument with regards to cancer risks, so if you want to look that up for yourself, the relationship between abortion and breast cancer, uh, still hotly debated. Some people say, well, I'm not going to get into the details. You can look it up yourself, but it is uh, absolutely... Um, uh, it, it is an absolute tragedy, because also the woman has very much gone against her nature, which is to create and to nurture and to love the helpless and beautiful life of an infant, a baby, a toddler. She's gone against that, and she's, you know, had a life that she is enjoying, a life, a human life, the life that she enjoys is now carved out of her. And um, it's rough, and there are significant reports of mental health issues, of post-traumatic stress disorder, of lifelong regret, of the birthday that never was, uh, and all of these sorts of things. It's rough. And again, I just think it's a form of corruption. Whatever your views on abortion, to think that it should be something to be celebrated or that it's just a, a, a woman's right and, and so on, like my body, my choice, but it's not your body. It's not your body. Unless, unless you have a spleen that is going to detach from you, argue back, uh, poop the bed, grow up, make friends, and have its own family, go to college, get a job, whatever. Unless you have a spleen that's going to do that, don't talk about it's not your, it is not your body. Your body does not detach and become its own person. Like no part of your body other than a baby detaches from itself and become, becomes its own person. <laughs> How would you define mental health? <laughs> I'm not going to get dragged into that. But um, yeah, so, and now, of course, there does seem to be some movements towards post-birth abortion, which to me is just straight up infanticide and is you know, I talked all about this in my tour of Australia, just how brutal these, these cultures are that do all of this, right? So, so okay, what's the solution? And again, my, my main focus here is the happiness of women, the happiness of men, and the survival of the babies. So what we have in the abortion situation 
I'm going to go through this fairly quickly, right? So what we have in the abortion situation is this. We have, in society, one woman with an excess of fertility. In other words, a fertility that she has that she doesn't want. An excess of fertility, like the guy who's got the ice cream truck, to take a silly example, right? The guy who's got the ice cream truck has an excess of ice cream, more than he could possibly eat, and he's going to sell it to you. He has an excess of this. I have an excess of philosophy, and I regularly discharge it on you. So... A woman has an excess of, of, of fertility, and there are other women in society who have a deficiency of fertility. And these are jigsaw puzzle pieces that fit together quite well. One out of ten couples who are married have significant issues or difficulties conceiving. The conceiving could be something endemic, and it does tend to be a little bit more on the female side than the male side because the plumbing is more complicated. But there are a lot of women who have trouble conceiving, or as a friend of mine heartbreakingly put it in her late 30s, she said, I spent all my 20s trying not to get pregnant, now I've spent all my 30s trying to get pregnant. I was successful in my 20s in not getting pregnant, I'm unsuccessful in my 30s in getting pregnant, and it's breaking my heart. And it is uh, uh, terrible for the couples who are stuck in that kind of stuff. It's just awful. I mean, you've got a miscarriage, you've got the IVFs, you've got uh, lack of implantation, you've got the crossed fingers, the spotting blood. Oh, it's just... Uh, it it's, strings you out, strings you out completely. I've known some people who've gone through this kind of stuff, and it's just brutal. So you have a woman who has who is growing a baby that she does not want, and you have other women, and I know it's couples, but let's just talk about women for a moment. You have a woman who has a, who's growing a baby she does not want to keep, and there are other women who are desperate for a baby. And so to me, the answer would be, in a free society, what would facilitate the best thing? Well, the facilitate the best thing would be for the women who have babies they don't want to have to give birth to those babies and to then um, transfer the um, rights, the parental rights of those babies to the women who want babies but can't conceive. That's a win-win situation. Now, of course, I understand you can't force a woman to uh, come to term and so on, and, and that, that's terrible for the baby too because if you're forcing the woman who's pregnant she's really stressed she's unhappy she could sabotage it any number of ways she could drink alcohol smoke cigarettes not get enough sleep not exercise not eat well lots of things that she can do to mess up the baby so i don't think that's a particularly positive thing to do and again is it a violation of the non-aggression principle hard to say the baby is basically a hostage in the belly of the mother, but the mother has fundamental control over it, and if you jail some mother, it's very stressful. These stress hormones can mess up the baby and so on. So that's just a basic fact. So whatever we can do, if at all possible, in society, I'm talking about a free society here, whatever we can do to attempt to rescue the child, to keep the child alive, then we are, if there's a way to do that and make the mother content with it, right? So I use the word content rather than happy, right? Because restitution in law is about contentment, in, in, in common law, it's about contentment rather than happiness, right? So if I borrow your car, I put a dent in it, and then I get the dent fixed and give you a coupon for dinner for your trouble, you're content. You're not happy that it happened, but you're okay. It's fine, right? Because if, if it becomes, I'm happy that it happened, then uh, you'll want me to ding your car because I'm gonna give you $10,000, or like if it becomes too much, if restitution becomes too much, you're messing up the incentives, right? So we want, if at all possible, and again, sometimes it may not be, but if at all possible, we want the pregnant woman who doesn't want to keep the baby to be content to give birth. Now, how is she gonna be content to give birth? Well, there's, there's basically two things. One is the avoidance of a negative, and the other would be the pursuit of a positive. The avoidance of the negative is that the couple who wants the baby would cover the costs, medical costs, time costs, and so on, for the pregnant woman. Now, 
positive cash incentives. I mean, it's appalling even to my own mind to think of buying babies. It's crazy, right? I understand that. But again, I, I think there's a lot of propaganda because, you know, we, we pay to buy life all the time. We, we pay people to keep other people alive all the time. I mean, cancer treatments, uh, uh, COVID ventilators. We, we pay all the time. The entire medical care system is paying to keep people alive. So is it possible to pay a mother to keep the baby alive? If you're the baby, the ka-ching of the cash transaction is not as appalling as, you know, the forceps coming in and crushing your head into atoms, right? So is there a way or would there be a way in a free society to incentivize a woman who doesn't want to keep a baby for herself to have a give the baby up for adoption by a couple who desperately wants a baby and is happy to cover her costs. Now, in a lot of places, if the woman is a surrogate, you can cover her costs, but you can't pay her. So that becomes a whole different uh, situation. So can you pay? Well, I'm going to give you a historical example, just in case you are, you know, horrified and appalled by this as a... Um, as a possibility, right? Are you appalled by this idea of paying to keep a baby alive, of paying someone to keep a baby alive? So hit me with a why if you find this just, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a slave owning, it's, it's uh, buying human beings and so on, right? Well, uh, I'm going to give you something and, and if you do feel this to be a problem, did you know, did you know that in 1833, Britain used 20 million pounds, which was 40% of its national budget, to buy freedom for all the slaves in the empire. The amount of money borrowed for the Slavery Abolition Act was so large that it wasn't paid off until 2015. Close to 200 years it took to pay this off, right? Which means that, you know, even British citizens who were alive helped to pay for the end to the slave trade, right? <laughs> Somebody says, my finger was infected last month. I had to bribe a doctor to give me antibiotics. Well, I hope you mean just pay a doctor, but because they'd give it to you anyway, right? So, yeah, people donate to charity to keep people alive all the time. People donate organs. They'll give up a kidney to keep people alive. And again, here, 40% of the entire national budget of England, which took almost 200 years to pay off of Britain, bought freedom for all the slaves in the empire. Was that wrong? Was that buying human beings in order to liberate them? Well, a payment to a pregnant woman to compensate her for the time and stress of bringing a child to term, that is buying the life of a child. So you don't think of buying babies, because I, I hate the idea that someone's just going to have a baby and put it on eBay or eBaby or whatever, right? But when you think of it, as we do, like, what are our resources for? Well, it's to buy life, fundamentally, because if you don't have your life, you don't have anything, right? So you are keeping a baby alive by incentivizing the mother to bring the baby to term. So I think if we understand that approach and think of it in that way, how would a free society deal with the question of abortion? Now, of course, one big challenge would be, one big challenge would be, again, you want it to be something where the woman is content but not happy. Because let's say you paid a million dollars for a woman to have her baby. Well, the challenge would then be that she might turn into a baby conveyor belt in order to just get more and more money and she becomes in the business of producing babies for money and so on. So you'd want to make it friction. There'd have to be friction involved in this so that it didn't become some baby cycle cash grab, right? Because that would be, I think that would degrade the, um, the entire women as beautiful vessels of, of human life and, and the growers of brains and people and wonder and beauty and, and all of that. 
So I, I don't know exactly how this would work out because we are talking about a free society. All this stuff would be negotiated over time. But it would be something like what I would not feel comfortable with if there was what I call the dispute resolution organizations or the groups that deal with these kinds of contract negotiations. I would not want it to be a repetitive thing, right? So in a free society, abortions would be extraordinarily rare because women would be raised well, would be raised peacefully, and the dads would be around. And a woman who's raised well and raised peacefully is not promiscuous, does not engage in early sexual activity, will often wait until married. And, and then, you know, pregnancy is not such an issue when you're in a committed, pair-bonded, monogamous, marital, lifelong relationship. It's just not as big an issue. You may have a baby that's inconvenient. You may have, oh, we weren't sure we wanted one more and so on. But, you know, life kind of finds a way and and you can have the baby and find a way to to make it work and so on. So abortion would be much more rare, but it could be the case that birth control fails uh, and so on. And in in those situations, there is not, it's not a money-making thing. It's a, oops, you know, whatever, right? Uh, uh, and I have a baby, I really can't take care of it or really, really don't want to. And so I will give the baby up for adoption too. But But the fact is that adoption's, the woman still has to pay. She has time off work. She has to pay for her health care and, and so on. That's tough. That is tough for women in the current situation, current circumstances, right? So on the rare occasions where birth control fails, despite all best efforts to the contrary, that's kind of rare. Now, you wouldn't want that to be a regular thing for women. So for me, it would be like, okay, you get a one-and-done situation, right? So if you do accidentally get pregnant, you really, really don't want to keep the baby, then you can give the baby up for adoption and be compensated by the couple who want the baby infinitely more than you do, since you don't want it at all. You have a negative, they have a positive, and those things should fit together economically and, and, and have throughout history in, in every other area. So, but if it happened again, that would be much more of a negative and would be much more of a problem. And it would have been very, uh, very difficult to, to do that, right? Uh, abortion has prevented the incentives of the market to create more birth control. Once there is a good male birth control pill or something, I don't think there would be as many abortions. Uh, that certainly is uh, that certainly is possible. Male birth control is tough, though, of course, as you know, because you've got millions of sperm and only one egg, right? So that's a whole different kind of uh, kind of situation. Um, let's see here. Yeah, so the British government borrowed about £20 million back in the day to compensate slave owners, which amounted to a massive 40% of the Treasury's annual income, about 5% of the British GDP. The loan was one of the largest in history. So um, I think it would be better to pay the slaves, but still it's better to at least pay the slave owners. Now, there is a big problem as well uh, at the moment, which is that when you have, when you have birth control, sorry, when you have... Um, uh, abortion and the welfare state, right? So I mentioned this in my show earlier today. The, the dominoes that fell kind of went along the following lines, right? You had the pill, and then you had the welfare state, and then you had abortion, right? So the pill led to rises in sexual promiscuity, which often led to a need for higher treatments for STDs and, and pregnancy issues and so on, which gave the drive for socialized medicine with higher birth rates and less consequential sexuality uh, sorry, but with um, higher STD rates and negative consequences from sexuality from the pill and the dissolution of a lot of uh, marriages based upon the 
unleashing of sexuality, you end up with a lot of uh, women who have babies but no uh, fathers, and therefore you have to have the welfare state, at least that the perception is. But then when you have the welfare state, women will often uh, have babies to make money from the welfare state. I mean, we already pay women to have babies, right? Yeah, but let's pay them to get them to a good home instead, right? And so then you need uh, abortion. So the problem is, of course, if abortion is restricted, then there will be, to some degree, I think, more, and, and you can see this all over social media, where women are saying, okay, well, if you're going to restrict my abortion, you got to pay more and more welfare and benefits and so on. It's like, oh, I can sort of understand where people are coming from, but this is, you know, one one government program always leads to another to counter the effects, which leads another to counter the counter effects and so on. And so that issue um, is something that, I think really needs to be addressed. And and unfortunately, it will probably be addressed by the welfare state running out of money and chaos and, and catastrophe and so on, right? Uh, somebody has asked, would your solution increase our birth rate to be higher than replacement? Well, the best contraception is industrialization. And, you know, it's one of the things that happens that, you know, strikes me as, as kind of demonic, right? Which is a lot of the women who really care about goodness and, and virtue and responsibility and taking care of the planet, taking care of the environment. They're thoughtful and caring and really, really nice women. A lot of them then just get really propagandized and, and really corrupted to, well, you know, you really shouldn't have babies if you care about the environment. You really shouldn't have babies if you care about oppression and privilege and, and so on. And so the women who are, in a sense, the most moral are the ones who get hit with the most propaganda to have the fewest babies. And I don't know that, the, I don't think that there's much of a gene for morality, but I do know that a moral environment will be the most likely environment in which, uh, most likely situation in which a child is going to grow up moral. So if you take the most ethical and responsible and caring for the future and others kind of people and convince them and use that very morality to, I mean, napalm their wombs, so to speak, then you're just going to end up with kids raised in a less moral environment by less moral people, and then we wonder why, you know, society's kind of getting worse. So I don't know what would happen. I, I do think that, I mean, I remember when I was on Twitter and, and I would talk about the joys of motherhood and so on, you'd get all of this weird crap coming out of the mouths of women, which was like, well, I don't want to be just a brood mare and, you know, the sole purpose of my life is not reproduction. And it's like, well, you know, i a million generations prior to you, back to the primordial swamp and, and soup three billion years ago, that, that, that the only reason you're here to say that your entire purpose is not reproduction is because other people reproduced and raised you. And the the degradation of motherhood is unbelievable. I mean, it, it, it's not unbelievable. It's, it's incredibly brutal. It's absolutely incredibly brutal to see just how appalling, and, and this is, you know, probably one of the reasons why I ended up being yeeted from uh, various places because I was just, I mean, it was just appalling. It was absolutely appalling to see all of these, uh, uh, all of the unbelievable horrors of of the anti-baby, anti-natalist uh, movement. It's just, just astounding, right? And the celebrities of course you know i mean george takai what can you even say right i mean yeah sure gay men should have lots of opinions about abortion take total sense to me makes total sense to me but uh, one woman said uh, it's important to remember the human tragedy of this not just for those who will be forced into motherhood uh, 
But for all of us who will not get to experience the fruits of female talent cultivated and female ambitions fulfilled, forced birth is a needless waste of human potential. So, I don't know. You know, you see those memes of like someone trying to punch a blurred character, like responsibility, accountability, response, dodge, dodge, dodge. And it's wild. It's wild. Forced into motherhood. And I'm not talking about rape here, right? Not talking about teen sexual abuse, or I'm talking about the vast majority, right? It's, it's um, women who choose to have sex and in general choose to have sex unprotected, right? To, to choose to have unprotected sex in the peak years of their fertility, right? So consequences, if you choose to have unprotected sex, you're most likely going to get pregnant. If you choose to have unprotected sex, you're most likely going to get pregnant. The idea that you're then forced into motherhood because you can't kill the baby or kill the fetus, I don't, I don't get how people believe this. Like I fundamentally don't get how people believe this. It's like the people who got really mad at Joe Rogan for taking the, quote, horse dewormer, right? Well, now there's people on the left advocating horse medicine to induce abortions, right? I'm not even going to talk about how. And, you know, this is just being passed along. It's totally fine. I don't get how people... I mean, I understand, you know, playing the victim and I'm being forced into this, that, and the other. But how anybody takes this seriously, just say, look, if, if a friend of yours plays Russian roulette, right, spins and... right, and dies because a bullet goes through his head, was he murdered? No. Was it wise to play Russian roulette? Absolutely not. Was he murdered? No. He took his chances, right? He took his chances. And so this idea that you're somehow being forced into something that you have to do very, something very specific, i.e. have, in general, unprotected sex, the idea that you're being forced into something when, yeah, consensual sex cannot result in a forced pregnancy. Yeah, absolutely, you can't. You can't. You can't. All right, let's catch up. I just want to so yeah, that's my sort of major major option. Whatever we can do to keep babies alive and to prevent women from doing what I think is a fairly soul-destroying thing, which is to, I think, attempt to gain the commitment of a man through wild, unprotected sex, then having a baby, and if the commitment doesn't work out or scares the man off, just killing the baby, killing the fetus, that's rough, man. That is really, really rough. And yeah, you can, of course, some people say, well, you don't sell, people don't celebrate abortion. Oh, yeah, they absolutely do. You can see this all over, all over the place. You can see people who absolutely celebrate and trumpet and praise uh, abortion. And uh, it's pretty, it's pretty wild. Yeah, of course. I mean, people want to, people want to separate sexuality from babies in the same way they want to separate eating from health. Because Eating food that's bad for you is an enormous amount of fun. I barely eat any chocolate anymore, but the other day I had a bite of something. It's like, oh, just as good as ever, man. It's just as good as ever, but I'll be damned if I'll put the weight back on after I lost it so brutally on that with that stomach bug. So people want to separate. They want to separate sexuality from procreation, and they want to separate food from health, right? So they just want to be able to eat whatever they want, and I'm you know, fit at any size and, and all of that, and that's just not... Uh, not good. And again, I talked about this earlier, just about how it is a strategy by which you can attempt to get a higher quality man through sexual access than you could otherwise get. 
Steve Jobs was adopted and Jeff Bezos' dad adopted him. Both provided tons of value to the world. Well, Steve Jobs did not provide a ton of value to his uh, girlfriend and daughter, but... So it's fair to say you're firmly pro-life, Steph. Well... I am not a fan, of course, of government regulations, government control, government power, and so on, but I would like to see in a free society what creative solutions would people would come up with about the goal of keeping the babies alive, but without terrorizing the mothers, right? Yeah, Sarah, Sarah, Sarah Silverman celebrates it vocally. Yeah, she also did a horrible, um, I think it was an ad for something or other where someone said, uh, a woman gave birth, uh, it's a boy. And Sarah Silverman said, oh, I'm so sorry, you know, like it's such a tragedy, you had a boy. Yeah, like who runs all, who builds the theaters she does her stand-up in? Who builds the lights? Who uh, builds the cameras? Who's the cameraman? Who's, anyway, I mean, who knows? Who knows what to say about that? So I just wanted to uh, put that out as a solution, right, to sort of think about do we spend money to save life? Absolutely, we spend money to save life all the time. Should we not? spend money also to save the most vulnerable lives among us, the most helpless and dependent lives among us, and to rescue women from bad decisions that they make in a panic and from a lack of alternatives and to match up the people who have an excess of fertility and the people who have a deficiency of fertility so that both people can end up not happy. You don't want these things to make people happy because that's a positive incentive that's too strong, but at least, at least, at least to make them content with the situation. All right. So I hope that helps. I just wanted to drop by and talk about that tonight. I will be back for my regularly scheduled call-in show tomorrow night, 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, Lots of love from up here. I hope you guys have a wonderful evening. And uh, yeah, let me know what you think. uh, There's a part of me that's appalled by this particular solution, but when I try to put it in a philosophical context, which really is the point of the the, uh, conversation here, I think it makes a lot of sense. So Thanks, everyone. Lots of love. Don't forget to help me out. Freedomain.com forward slash donate. Take care. Bye.